Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. The World Health Organization is an indispensable institution in the fight against pandemics. In dealing with the ongoing COVID-19 crisis, the WHO and its Director General Tedros Adhanom have provided and disseminated important and critical information for dealing with the virus. They were also criticized, not least by US President Donald Trump, for acting too slowly in the early stage of the crisis and being too close to China. Hello, my name is Johannes Heller, and today we will take a look at the relationship of the WHO and China, how it has affected the response to COVID-19, and how Taiwan complicates this picture even further. To tackle this topic, I am joined by two of our in-house experts on international order and on China in UN organizations. Senior Policy Fellow Hans Mao and Junior Analyst Thomas Degaray-Geddes. Welcome, Hans. Welcome, Thomas. Hello. Hello. As COVID-19 spreads globally, a lot of blame, as was said before, was directed at the WHO. What exactly were these allegations? Maybe I can pass it to you, Thomas, first. Yes. So I would say that um, most of the criticism has centered around China's perceived sway over the WHO. So um, China's influence over WHO statements um, and decisions during the crisis. So um, on the one hand, we have the WHO heaping praise on the CCP for its competence, um, its transparency, um, and as I remember Tedros uh, putting it, uh, its impressive leadership. And then on the other hand, uh, and possibly also as a result of this breakdown in trust, there have been doubts over the extent to which decisions made by the WHO have been influenced by its ties with China. Um, so uh, these decisions would include, uh, for example, um, ignoring Taiwan um, when it was asking questions uh, at the end of December about possible human-to-human -human transmission of the virus. Um, it would also include uh, taking Chinese official data and communiques at face value uh, rather than questioning them, despite receiving reports of potential um, CCP, CCP cover-ups. Um, and another example would be uh, when the WHO decided against declaring what it calls a fake, uh, so in other words, a public health emergency of, an in, of international concern um, on January the 23rd, only to reverse that uh, a week later. So, um, yeah, so as, as I said, I think that a lot of the blame that's been directed against the WHO um, has its roots in these Sino-WHO ties um, and And it's possibly what Trump was uh, meaning when he uh, accused the WHO, as you said, Johannes, of being um, China-centric, um, although I personally don't really like that term. Looking at the relationship between China and the WHO, maybe Hans, other, would you like to add something to the first question or maybe go a little bit deeper and taking a step back about what is the relationship between China and the WHO? What is the history behind that? Sure, Johannes, thank you. Well, just one brief addition to what Thomas just said. Uh, he mentioned that uh, the WHO declared this uh, public emergency of international health 
on January 23rd, that was already very late. And uh, I think the WHO has also been criticized for this uh, significant delay in uh, declaring this emergency. But we may get back to this later on because this is a general issue. The WHO is often criticized, has been often criticized in the past for either reacting too late or too early. But on your question about the relationship between China and the WHO, I think one has to recognize first that uh, the WHO is the first international organization which had a Chinese Secretary General. Not the present one, but the previous one, uh, Margaret Chan, was from Hong Kong, and she was at that time already the candidate of China, as is the present Secretary General. And I think one of the reasons why the World Health Organization is a particularly important international organization from China's perspective is the role of Taiwan in this organization. It was ejected when China uh, People's Republic took over the position in the United Nations, it came uh, in later on with an observer status and it was thrown out again from this position of an observer uh, uh, in the World Health Organization. So the WHO in a way is a particularly interesting example of a general tendency of the People's Republic of China to spread its influence in international organizations. And that includes also taking the helm of international organizations. As I mentioned, WHO was the first one, but now I think there are four international organizations headed by Chinese. You said that the role of Taiwan is particular in the WHO. How is it different from other United Nations organizations? Well, I think it's particularly uh, interesting and relevant because global public health uh, is an issue where you want to have the broadest possible participation. Uh, of all territories and states uh, and, and, and regions, if you like. Uh, so to have uh, the Taiwan out of the WHO poses certain problems, if you like, even technical problems in terms of controlling and curing for global public health. You just mentioned that uh, China has uh, been able to, to put its suggestion for Director General of the WHO forth, uh, for the last two times, like the last person even being uh, from Hong Kong. Um, so why has China so much influence over the WHO? Maybe I can pass this to Thomas. Like, is it because it's contributing so much to WHO funds? I would say that there are several ways of explaining this. Um, but since we do have time constraints, um, I'll limit myself to uh, three main points. The first one being that um, a lot of people talk about China's contributions to the WHO as being extremely small. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Um, uh, they've grown tremendously uh, in the last few years. Um, and uh, have been multiplied by about three since 2015. Um, so we were at, uh, if I'm correct, uh, something around $30 million uh, a year in 2015 uh, for Chinese contributions uh, to the WHO budget. Uh, and that has now gone up to uh, not far from um, uh, around uh, $100 million uh, in 2020. So yes, China's contributions are still only one third of America's, uh, but I think um, 
I think that China's potential uh, to become a major future donor is something that the WHO and Tedros must be highly aware of. Um, and uh, as we all know, the WHO uh, is in desperate need of this extra funding. Um, then my second point would be that um, I think that it's also important to look at just how much China's economic and diplomatic clout has grown in recent years. Um, China can influence uh, political outcomes. Um, it can build uh, coalitions uh, uh, across the world in ways that it couldn't 10 or 20 years ago. And this is especially the case in countries that matter to the WHO, like Africa, um, and more broadly, the global south. Um, so I would say that the WHO needs China's support much more than it ever used to. And then my third point would be that um, we should be looking at this um, in the broader context of the US's retreat um, from a number of uh, multilateral organizations. So uh, UN agencies, including the WHO, um, but also its attempts to um, slash its funding um, of global health. Um, and China, for its part, uh, it's, been, it's been doing the exact opposite. So um, one, uh, for me, quite telling example uh, of this um, is that the Trump administration, uh, the Trump administration sorry, hasn't even bothered to have a US representative on the WHO's executive board since 2018, um, which means that the US, the US seat has basically remained vacant since then. Um, and so I would say that uh, if the US wants to recover some of its influence within the WHO, uh, it might do well to start off by filling that seat. That is interesting, if I may add to this, uh, uh, Thomas, and perhaps even contradict you a little, because I looked up the figures for the budget and they are rather different from yours. Uh, but I think the most important thing one has to say on the financial side is that the total budget of the World Health Organization is funded to about two thirds from private uh, contributions. Yes, in other words, the allocations for member governments, which uh, I think add up to roughly $1 billion, if I'm not mistaken, uh, are only a small part, as the smaller part of the total budget, which sort of opens the issue of who provides the financial support for the WHO. And the answer, importantly, is business, you know, pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical industry. But uh, on the contributions, uh, the figure I found for this year, the the allocations, uh, the budget contributions, China, uh, um, about roughly speaking, $60 million, United States, roughly speaking, 116, so about uh, twice as much as China, and Germany is half of China. So a rather neat uh, kind of a relationship in, in, in the figures. And the United States accounts for about, formally for about a quarter of the total official budget of the, 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 the contributions from the member states. So China is about 15% or so at the moment, 12%. Uh, I think the, the reason why China has been so influential in WHO is clever diplomacy. I mean, China has been very good at getting its candidates elected by uh, forming coalitions, mostly including, importantly, including African states. It's not coincidence that the present director general is, uh, comes from African state, Ethiopia. Uh, and uh, you had this time, as last time, a coalition uh, in, uh, 
orchestrated by the People's Republic to, for its candidate. And this coalition, clever coalition building, is something other member states could do as well. Uh, and they haven't done it so well as China has. So that, I think, is also an important reflection on the strength of Chinese diplomacy. How, maybe if we can go into more detail than before, uh, has the WHO reacted to the coronavirus crisis? Could you maybe start, Thomas? Yes. So, um, well, first of all, um, I think that we could talk about um, how the WHO reacted generally uh, to this crisis. Um, and my feeling is that uh, despite its initial blunders, so the ones that I talked about right at the beginning of this podcast, um, I feel that it would be uh, slightly too easy for us to blame the WHO for everything that's gone wrong um, and simply ignore our government's own failings. So, uh, for example, uh, in early February, um, the WHO was already highlighting the global shortage of PPE, so uh, personal protective equipment, um, and we didn't listen. Uh, it published guidelines that we didn't follow um, and warned us again and again uh, of the severity of the outbreak. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, I feel that uh, we were the ones who decided not to take this virus uh, seriously enough. I would be a bit more critical here, um, if I may, uh, and uh, point out that I think the WHO relied for a very long time essentially on information coming out of China, although there were reasons already to doubt the quality of this information. And as we said earlier on, it took the World Health Organization an awfully long time until late January to declare uh, an international emergency, health emergency or public concern. And that was because uh, in this uh, stage, the WHO did not want to or did not dare to challenge China on the information it provided. Would you think it is worthwhile to compare this crisis to previous ones, uh, Hans? Yes, I think so. I mean, again, it is really interesting to compare this pandemic now and the response by the World Health Organization and the international community uh, with the, the SARS pandemic in 2002-2003. During the SARS pandemic, the World Health Organization really played a very forceful leadership role. And part of that leadership role consisted in fairly early on in this pandemic, challenging China, again, you know, China was the source of this pandemic at that time, to challenge China to provide adequate information and allow uh, uh, the WHO to uh, try and send its own experts and verify. And the, uh, the leadership at that time was able to put China on the defensive and eventually also to get China to cooperate with the WHO. Um, which they have done now too, I, I think, uh, after this uh, delay, this uh, problematic delay in the first three weeks or so of the pandemic. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the comparison of the behavior of the leadership of the WHO in 2003 and 2020, I think, is an interesting and revealing one. Uh, I wouldn't blame that on personalities only. I would also point out that uh, in those 17 years, uh, a lot has changed in the relative weight of China in international relations and the behavior of the WHO in this situation certainly also reflects that. But there can be no doubt that the leadership in 2003 was much more forceful in trying 
to force China into cooperating for the sake of global public health, uh, while this leadership now has been more, much more circumspect uh, in not offending what is, after all, a very important member state of the WHO. And we have to be clear, the Secretary General and the organization are ultimately at the service of the member states. They are the bosses. This is Merrick's Experts. My name is Johannes Heller, and this is my conversation with Hans Maul and Thomas de Garen-Geddes on China and the WHO. Maybe uh, a topic that offends uh, this big member state, China, very easily is the question of Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan has dealt with the crisis relatively well. Uh, it has a very low uh, case count and has reacted very quickly. What did Taiwan do differently than other states? Not sure who of you could uh, tackle this question. I'm, I'm happy to. So uh, compared with other countries, uh, Taiwan acted extremely rapidly. Um, and I think that that was probably one of its uh, main strengths. Um, it also uh, seems to have learned a lot from um, SARS, uh, so in 2003. So it, it has a, a competent decision-making body called the Central Epidemic Command Center that's been coordinating its response to the epidemic. Um, and it also started screening arrivals from China very early on um, compared with us um, and was extremely quick at introducing quarantine measures. It also did a very good job at using data technology uh, to uh, trace uh, and also to identify uh, those who had been infected. Um, and then it also did other things like uh, rationing face masks um, and also ramping up uh, the production of, of face masks again very early on. Everyone was all too aware uh, of how much uh, the WHO was uh, ignoring uh, Taiwan uh, right up until now. And the WHO is, is basically afraid of criticizing China. And I think that Tedros and the WHO uh, must be extremely aware that angering China uh, in any way over Taiwan, and over Taiwan especially, could potentially put an end to their cooperation with Beijing, um, which would be disastrous for them, as I explained earlier. Just to second what uh, Thomas said, uh, there was this remarkable incident where a, a journalist from Hong Kong asked the high um, representative of the WHO about the Taiwanese experience. Uh, and uh, ultimately, the, the representative of the WHO simply put down the receiver. He refused to talk about Taiwan to this journalist. And that, I think, reflects this kind of concern in the organization uh, about sensitivities uh, uh, of China on this issue of Taiwan. I wonder how to connect to this. Like, uh, do you think there's any any other way that the WHA could have uh, dealt with the situation? Because it, it seems to me that Taiwan uh, is actually a, a case similar to to South Korea, where like a lot of other nations could have profited from knowing what the Taiwanese authorities did and how they dealt with the situation. But unfortunately, it was, it was kind of lost due to uh, the WHO's focus on the sensibilities of, of their Chinese partners. 
what can we take from this situation? Like, should there other avenues be used to, to highlight cases that, that maybe China doesn't find particularly savory, but that are of, of extreme use to other countries? Well, I, uh, let me start on that and then ask Thomas what he thinks about this. I'm simply not quite, uh, um, I'm not confident in my judgment about how much information actually was stuck. I mean, surely Taiwan found ways to distribute the information and to get the information it needed through informal channels. But there may have been delays, there may have been difficulties. In principle, it is a problematic situation. If you have Taiwan signaling the WHO, look, we have information which suggests in late December, Taiwan had information which suggested there was a serious problem in Wuhan. It communicated that to the WHO and the WHO pretended not to listen. That is a problem, it seems to me. And therefore, it, uh, uh, there will be a decision ha will have to be made by the governing body of the WHO in a few days, I think 18th of May, whether Taiwan should uh, receive observer status again. And I think there's a very good case for Taiwan to be given this observer status. On issues of global public health, you want to have all on board. It's an issue of international cooperation. And the better international cooperation works, the better you can take care of the pandemic problem. Thomas, do you want to add to that? Um, no, I, I agree with what Hans was saying, and but I think that it'll be extremely difficult. Tsai Ing-wen, um, who's the current head of, of the Taiwanese state, uh, is not someone that the CCP appreciates. She doesn't abide by the one China principle, unlike her predecessor, um, Ma Ying-jeou. And uh, I don't know how much the CCP will be willing to negotiate on that. It's the same old thing of the carrot and the, and the stick. At the moment, it's giving uh, Taiwan the stick, but let's wait and see. I also hope that it, it can start participating uh, as, as an observer uh, in the WHA. Maybe to round it up uh, as a final question, we talked about how the WHO could change in the sense of like leading Taiwan. Uh, there are calls for the WHO to perform to be reformed in other ways as well. Um, maybe the both of you could give me your view what kind of changes should be implemented uh, in the WHO. Maybe Hans, you could start. Sure, Johannes. Uh, we touched on the issue of finance, and this is obviously an important one. I think the World Health Organization is uh, grossly underfunded in terms of public contributions. Uh, the contributions by the 194 member states to the budget of the WHO uh, should be significantly increased uh, to reduce the share of private donations. That really is a problem. And of course, this underfunding uh, of an international organization usually has also implications uh, which uh, affect the quality you know, it affects the hiring, it affects the morale of the organization. And I think these are also issues which are considered by many observers as problematic by the WHO. But let me also point out uh, something which isn't perhaps uh, sufficiently recognized. The WHO has changed dramatically in principle over the last 20 years. There were very significant and far-reaching reforms in the late 1990s and early 2000s, which enabled the WHO in principle 
to play a much more prominent and important role in dealing with the kind of situation which we have at the moment. The problem is, to me, uh, not so much, not primarily the WHO and the need of reform of WHO. It's the attitude of the member states, both the political will and the ability of the member states to do what it needs to do uh, uh, in situations like that and to comply with the recommendations of the WHO. Thomas pointed that out quite rightly early on, that also in our own countries there are reasons to be critical about our uh, um, performance and our willingness to conform with the recommendations of the WHO. That also applies to Germany. Thomas, would you like to add to that? Yes, so um, again, I, I agree uh, completely with what Hans was just saying. Um, now, I'm neither a global health expert uh, nor um, a WHO specialist, but um, I do like the idea of possibly granting the WHO the right to send a team of experts into a country uh, when there's a crisis without prior notice. So uh, a bit like the um, International uh, Atomic Energy Agency um, so uh, it does that. Um, and uh, so rather than having to wait for weeks on end, um, as the WHO just did in China before being able to go in, it went in uh, early February, this would provide the WHO with immediate on-the-ground information, which it was desperately needing. Thank you, Hans and Thomas, for participating in this interview. Thank you, Thank Hans. You. Thank you for listening. and. See you next time. Goodbye.